Welcome to the Every Nation Rosebank Church Podcast. At our church, we honor God, make disciples, and transform nations. For more information about our church, visit everynationrosebank.org and don't forget to subscribe. No, Pastor Greg, yeah, thanks again for that introduction. And yeah, I mean, I've been a part of the hub for quite a while now. Um, I think maybe just, uh, Pastor Greg's given an introduction, but maybe actually just to introduce myself because uh, many people probably don't know have a clue who I am after that. But my name is Michael Cole, so I've been part of Every Nation from campus days, so yeah, Cape Town, and then coming to Johannesburg in 2014, where, yeah, I met, uh, subsequently dated and married my wife, Gail. Uh, she couldn't be here tonight, but yeah, so Every Nation's been a big part of my life. Um, I actually met my wife while serving on ushering. Amen. So, Amen. you know... You know, it's the, the guys out there, you're looking for a good thing, you know? Focused. Cool. But I thought I'd just share a picture of my family. So that's my wife and our six-and-a-half-month-old son, Levi. So that's my family. Yeah, so as Pastor Greg said, I'm going to be kicking off a series at the Hub on... Um, financial glow up and today I'm going to be speaking about money and obedience and but before I start like I think I want to open up with this uh, just because it's so critical so we've come out of this abide series right and where we focus on the power and the word of God and I have to say like the word of God really is a lamp onto your feet and a light onto your path and it has so much relevance in every area of your life and even in the area of finances. And this is something that I've, I've experienced and seen. And if you, if you receive it, if you receive the word, you hold on to what it says, and you position yourself to allow God's light to shine into your soul and really glow up from the inside out, um, and really position yourself for him to bless the work of your hands. One of my favorite scriptures is Psalms 1, verses 1 to 3, where it says, Blessed the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on the law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yield its fruit in its season, its leaf does not wither, and whatever he does prospers. So today I have three points. First point, God wants your heart. Second point, God wants you to prosper. Third point, God wants your obedience. So, our anchor scripture for today is, uh, which I'm going to focus on primarily, but there's going to be a lot of word, so prepare yourself, is Deuteronomy 8 verses 1 to 5, and I'll read it for us. It says, be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today, so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years, to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out, and your feet did not swell during these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. So maybe just some context to the scripture. We know in Exodus that the Lord delivered the Israelites from slavery in Egypt and had these miraculous displays of his supremacy and power through the ten plagues and 
ultimately them walking across a dry land and seeing water, walking across <laughs> the Red Sea and seeing walls of water on either side of them and ultimately delivering them from the Egyptians. Uh, but after this, God told the Jews to take possession of a certain land known as the Promised Land. And this uh, Promised Land was somewhere that would be flowing with milk and honey. You fast forward from Exodus and in Numbers, Moses commissions 12 spies to go into this land and scope it out and to come back and deliver a report. And they go and survey this land for 40 days and they come back with this report that the land is fertile, there's literally these huge clusters of grapes, that there's fortified cities and there's giants. These giants were so big that uh, the scripture says that they looked as grasshoppers in their eyes. Now, the thing is, is that despite what God had done for them in Egypt and this miraculous supernatural intervention, intervention, they were intimidated at God's command to go and possess the land. They heard his word, they realized what it meant for them, they saw what was ahead of them, but they were like, I'm not going to do it. And, um, sorry, losing my place here. Without faith, it's impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to God must believe that he exists and he's a rewarder of those who seek him. So this act of them like deciding not to take possession of the promised land displeased the Lord so much that he said not one person of that generation would see the promised land. Rather, they would wander in the wilderness for 40 years. So back to the scripture. We see how the Lord said, Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble you and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known. There's so many things in this life that can test for our affections. And the thing is, is that God ultimately wants our heart. He wants your heart. And the reality is, is that we have freedom to choose but, you know, we can remain in the wilderness where we still have this kind of benefit of God. You know, we still can experience the benefit of God. But without him being enthroned on our heart, we don't move into the promised land. So unfortunately, Matthew 6.21 stands true that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So it's a question for you. What are you devoted to? Fundamentally, in your heart, what, what matters to you? You know, is the Lord on the throne of your heart? Like, or is it finances, or is it work, or is it relationships? And not that these things are sort of bad in and of themselves, but is God in that place of preeminence in your heart? And the thing about God is he will do anything and everything to secure that space in your heart. And that might mean you're in a wilderness for a season until you can accomplish that, that, um, that objective in your life. God wants your heart. My second point is God wants you to prosper. Now, prosperity is holistic and multifaceted. Um, but I guess the thing is, when, you know, when we think prosperity, we kind of have a tendency of diving into financial prosperity. But I'll get more, uh, um, go into that some shortly. In Genesis 12, 1 to 3, this is the Lord who's speaking to Abraham. He said, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. 
so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of earth shall be blessed. So we see in this passage that it was actually God's, always God's intention to bless his people. It was something he always wanted to do. He wanted to bring his people into this promised land where they had fellowship and access and proximity to him. And this, this theme carries its way through not just the Old Testament where you see it very, very clear, but in the New Testament in scriptures like um, John 10.10 10, where Jesus himself is saying the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. You know, there's, a, there's a blessing that God wants to bring to his people. But as I mentioned before, the way we're conditioned and because of the culture we're in, we gravitate to automatically thinking of prosperity in terms of financial blessing. But this view is incomplete. So I'm going to touch on just a couple of ways where God wants to bring prosperity into our lives. But let me just first have a glass of just have a little bit of water. The last time I preached, my mouth was like so sticky. And my wife afterwards was like, why didn't you drink water? <laughs> Someone is there from time to time. <laughs> yeah, so prosperity is holistic and multifaceted. So, you know, what are the ways that God can bring prosperity into our lives, right? And we'll get to provision. But firstly, his presence. His presence. God in and of himself. And you having access to him by faith. In Romans 5 verse 1 it reads, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Old Testament times, you could not interact with God and live. You know, you could not interact with his presence. It would slay you. Through Jesus Christ, you have this proximity to the Father that is completely unheard of. And access to him provides a wealth of holistic prosperity and blessing to your soul that nothing can compare to. His presence. The second thing is spiritual resources. 2 Peter 1 verses 3 says his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Having that proximity to God also gives you access to that, the resources that are his or the resources that he can give you to lead you into everything that he has for you and wants to do in your life. That sounds like prosperity to me. Community. Romans 12, verse 4 to 5 says, For just as each of us has one, has one body with many members, and those members do not all have the same function, so we in Christ, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to the others. Being Christian, being part of a community, we have this blessing of relationship. Relationship with our community. Relationship with significant others, relationship with friends, relationship with family. And that's how the kingdom is lived out. It's lived out within community. Purpose and calling. Another thing, 1 Peter 4 verse 10, each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Healing and restoration, one of my favorite scriptures. Acts 10 38, and no doubt God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went around doing good, healing all who were oppressed by the devil. There are many in our, like our congregation that can talk of testimony, real testimony of physical, emotional, mental restoration and healing that God, can, God has brought to them. Then victory. 
1 John 5 verse 4, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. So I've thrown a lot of scripture out here, but it's just to, it's to paint the picture that God's prosperity and how God blesses is very wide. And if you think about all of that, and you think about finances, it's a small part of it, but it's definitely not all of it. So provision. Let's just go back to Romans, I mean, um, Deuteronomy 8, right? That, that initial scripture. Later in the passage, so it's Deuteronomy 8 verse 4, it says, the Lord's speaking to them, over their time in the wilderness, that their clothes did not wear out, and their feet did not swell during the 40 years. They were fed manna from heaven. They were provided for. They disobeyed God. You know, they didn't do what he wanted them to do, and they was in the space of wondering and trying to figure out do they really love God or not, but God was still faithful and he took care of them. So I think it's worth dwelling on provision and what that kind of means. So you see it through Scripture quite clearly around provision relating to, the, to, relating to provision of needs, of the keyword needs. Matthew 6 31 to 33, so do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them. But seek first his kingdom and its righteousness, and these things will be given to you as well. So, in that scripture, there's all these things that are important to us that we need, right? But there's this, there's this promise that the Lord will provide and sustain, but seek first his kingdom. And you see that coming in again about obedience, you know, there's, there's this act of seeking, seeking the Lord that positions for you for the fullness of what he can bring. Um, but having said, having said that, so there's, there's very, it's very clearly on needs, but also resources and means to be generous. Sometimes God will come in, or come in in power, or come into your situation in your business, in your personal lives, and then there's just this miraculous provision. Like we saw with the CRT and all of the initiatives that we're doing as the church, God does these things and does these things often. Those testimonies are everywhere across our church of God coming through and doing crazy things. Crazy things. And you, you, can't, you can't sit back and be like, oh, that was coincidence or that's a generous people. Like, it's too consistent. It happens too much. So resources to be generous. And I think because God loves us, us and we're his children, we also have testimonies in our hearts of where God has blessed us with things that we want. I think a lot of us have things in our lives, irrespective of our socioeconomic position, where there are things that we have that we, we wanted, you know, and God has come through for him. So God does come through provision, but also for, you know, in, in the things that we want, and there's evidence and testimony of that. But the Lord does not promise you're going to have a comfortable life. He doesn't promise you in this world you'll have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. He doesn't promise you have a comfortable life. He doesn't promise you're going to get what you want. But he'll meet your needs if you seek him first. And you may be listening to this and wondering, why doesn't God just bless us with everything you want? You know, why doesn't he just open up the floodgates of heaven and give us incredible financial resources so we can ball out of control and show, like, and show, and show people that, you know, we're blessed because we're, we're Christian. You know, that's, just not how, that's just not how it works. And the reason why is money is dangerous. The love for money is dangerous 
for the human heart. Financial prosperity comes with massive caution in the Bible. Massive caution. Matthew 6.24 says, Jesus says, No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and you'll love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus himself again said, Luke 12.15, that watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And then Paul in 1 Timothy 6 verse 10 says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Here's the reality, I think. An unhealthy desire for money can capture your heart like this. If it's there, it's the most enticing and most compelling thing. The parable of the sower talks about the worries and concerns of life that choke up the word of God and reduce the impact and the effectiveness of what the word of God can do in your life because your heart is divided. My suggestion is that not that it's impossible for you to be wealthy and faithful, but it's very difficult. It's very difficult because even where you are, you're going to be in a constant, ongoing tension about how you navigate the space with your heart not compromised. I ask myself, like, Lord, why are there just not more Christian billionaires? Like, they can just, they love the Lord, and they can just roll out. They can just roll out their finances, liquidate shares, build bridges, do all of these things. I think, so why is that not the case? And I think because, again, it's very difficult to navigate that space in your heart. There's some that can. And there's been a journey there where Matthew 25, they've worked with little. God has granted them more. And they have an abundance because they proved their self. They proved their self. But that's not for everyone. Sorry, my message is not everyone's going to be rich. My message is that some will, that love the Lord, but not everyone. He doesn't promise that at all. So my next and final point, God wants your obedience. So I guess bringing it back to Deuteronomy 8, we see how God tested the Jews to see what was in their heart, whether they would obey the Lord of, the Lord, of, of God, living on it as though it was bread. So making it practical about obedience, just in the area of finances, we talked about the heart, talked about you wanting you to prosper and provision, but... Okay, cool, Michael, but what, what's obedience in the area of finances? What do I need to practically go and do? What does it look like? I'm not going to go into everything in like too much detail because I think this whole series is really going to unpack a lot of this stuff, but I'm just going to touch on some of it. Bucket one, tithe and giving. Tithing. We are to give a tenth of our income, meaning giving this to the church. Guys, this is a privilege. You saw what the, the work that we're doing in the, we're doing, um, every nation is doing in our city. It's such a privilege to be able to give and contribute to people who work full-time to pressing and pushing the kingdom. We're all part of this body. We have gifts and talents, but we can't all be preachers. We can't all be prophets. We can't all be... We can't do everything. We've got limited capacity. But to be able to get behind... Together, collectively, people that do operate in certain aspects of direct ministry is a privilege and it's an obligation. Deuteronomy 14.22 says, Be sure to set aside a tenth of all that your fields produce each year. 
And then above, above this, we are then called to give to our family, our church, and our community. 1 Timothy 5 verse 8 says, Anyone who does not provide for their relatives, and especially for their own household, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. That's heavy. We need to take care of our families and our relatives. And we need to recognize that there's a responsibility for us to do so, biblically. I think for many among us, African professionals particularly, there's this notion of black tax, that you're not only your, your direct family, but it's your immediate family, and I mean your extended family, which can get heavy. And you look at it in this, in this description, you think, okay, what am I supposed to do? The heart of it is great, and it's just, but it's about also finding a way to navigate that space with your own personal boundaries. But in and of itself, we're called to take care of our families. James 1 verse 27 talks about taking care of the widow and the orphan, while Galatians 2 tense is remember the poor. I guess the fantastic thing about our church is its social responsibility arm. It's, it's, it's incredible. In our context, the most unequal country in the world, you know, where you can see a Porsche and a guy begging every day. Um, it's amazing that we've got a church that does such deep, good work for the widow, the orphan, the poor, and we get to be behind that with our giving. Like, it's not a, it's not a hack, it's a privilege. It's a complete privilege. And I guess for many of us, it's maybe a bit difficult to embrace because maybe in a situation where finances are tough and I'm saying we must tithe, but we must also give. My message is the Lord meets you where you're at. And I think the Lord will honor the little that you do. You know, think of like the five loaves and two, two fishes. It's not necessarily about the quantum, it's not necessarily about the size, but it's about the position of your heart and moving towards, moving towards what the Lord wants you to do and how he wants you to steward, steward your resources. Um, I think in a, I want to share an example from a personal life. So my wife and I, how we've done it is we've kind of looked at giving as a separate percentage. We're going to say what that is off the tithe, that is allocated for giving. And what that does for us is it makes us intentional about making sure that we give, and it gets, it gets put in account. So even if we don't use it, it piles up. And we know and we're aligned on where we're going to give and how we're going to give. And it doesn't, oftentimes, or well, a number of times, sometimes it's meant saying no, because sometimes giving is not how you help a situation. Sometimes financially is not how you help a situation. It's more about your time, in it, your time, energy, resources, and relationship. But by doing that and delineating, we've made ourselves focused on this as a part of our life, and this is just how it's going to be. And the thing about these practices, and this is some people in this room, when you're fresh out of varsity and you start tithing and giving, and that's a fixed percentage, and something you do, you're not going to miss it. You're going to get so used to that being a part of it that you're actually going to end up questioning your heart. It's like, Lord, am I really in this anyway? Where it gets very difficult is later in life when there's more expenses and there's, and there's more obligations. Um, and then you have to, and then suddenly there's this gap. So I'm not saying, uh, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not throwing shade on people who are older. 
but it's, if you're younger, recognize the opportunity that you've got to entrench a habit and realize that this is, you know, this is how you, you manage your money. So the second bucket uh, I've called wisdom and prudence. Uh, Jess shared a scripture talking about how you know, we should make the most of our time living wisely, right? The wisdom literature, so we've talked Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, is filled with principles, filled with principles that believers can apply to, financial position, to, to their financial position to be better stewards of money. Proverbs 21 verse 20, I love this verse. It says, The wise man saves for the future, but a foolish man spends whatever he gets. This means managing your expenses. It means manage, and managing how you spend your money is often about how you manage your behavior. And it's finding ways to manage that so that you're spending less and saving more. And Saving things for, you can save by various investment platforms and the like, by various investment products, but things that are critical or things that are very important insofar as you're in the position to do so, I recognize that. But retirement, retirement, often overlooked. Rainy days, because things like COVID happen. Um, and your own financial goals. And the beauty of, like, of compound interest, we talk about it, like I work in, in private equity, we talk about it all the time, is if it's a little and you've got time, it ends up working a lot better than if you have a lot and you start late. Incidentally, Gen Zers, like there's some research that's come out that they are really good at this, a lot better than previous generations at saving. Because they've kind of been born into this world where there's a 2008 financial crisis, there's the pandemic, so they know that good times come and go. And so, you know, their, their saving habits are a bit better. But the principle, save. A wise man saves for the future. A foolish man spends whatever he gets. Second point, settling debt. Proverbs 22 verse 7 says, The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. Debt can enslave you if you use it inappropriately to finance consumption that is beyond your means. It's a great tool for acquiring assets, emergencies, it has its place, but, should you, but it should be used with prudence um, for, for other reasons that are beyond acquiring assets. And if you have debt, it's a very good idea to settle that quickly, as far as possible and as far as you can. Then mitigating risk. Ecclesiastes 11 verse 2 says, Invest in seven ventures. Yes, in eight. You don't know what disaster may come upon the land. Time and chance happen to us all. You could be in a tourism business and COVID happens. You know, it doesn't mean God doesn't love you. It just means that's the reality of the world we live in. And you've got to be prepared and you've got to think that mitigating risk is not a lack of faith. Making provision for things that might happen does not make you like less of a Christian. So what does mitigating risk mean? It means medical aids, health insurance, um, other, other types of ins insurance, diversifying your investments, not putting 100% of your retirement into Bitcoin. Um, it can also include diversifying your income stream through side hustles. So Gen Zs are also very good at this, side hustles. 
They work all day, they find something to do and find other ways to, to generate income. Some people are, are really good at this. Within our church, there are people that are really good at this. And then lastly, seeking help. In the multitude of counselors, there's safety. Proverbs 11 verse 14. And also, Deuteronomy 8, 18, just gets spoken about later, there's a recognition that God gives some people the ability to generate wealth. Some people are skilled by, and that talking back to that bracket of people where the God, Lord grants them wealth. Deuteronomy 8, 18. They've got this ability, but they've got the heart, a heart of stewardship, and the Lord can trust them with it. Um, seek, seek help. If this is an area where you're looking to grow and whatever, don't hesitate to speak to your financial advisor. Go to a financial fitness course. Talk to people who are good at diversifying their income stream. Learn, build, grow. Um, if this is an area where you want to grow. So then what's the result of obedience in this area? What does it do? What does it look like? You know, that all, the scripture that we shared right at the beginning, you know, there seems to be this kind of direct impact of obedience. I guess why I want to highlight three things. Being obedient in this area means you're growing your relationship with God. Because finances move from being this thing that's a feature of your life to an area of worship and stewardship. Where it's not about what can I do and how can I spend it quickly. It's about how can I glorify God's name through how I spend my money. And it, it completely shifts it completely shifts the paradigm. Those who are faithful with worldly wealth can be entrusted with wealth from heaven. Those who are faithful with little are faithful with much. If finances become an area where you seek to please the Lord little by little, that's 50 bucks, 100 bucks, 1,000 bucks, 10,000 bucks, 100,000 bucks, a million bucks, whatever it is, and the mentality is the same, God can trust you with more. And secondly, the church directly benefits from your financial contributions to advance the kingdom. We're in it together. Like I said earlier, it's a privilege to give. Um, it resources the church to do what it does and advance the kingdom of God in our city. And then lastly, who benefits? Our family and community benefit from our giving and financial prudence, and in some cases having a multi-generational impact. Back to that point on saving. I've been thinking, we've got a son, he's six and a half months, and I'm really thinking about his education. Like, I'm really thinking about products and savings vehicles and stuff, because I know about time and compounding. I know that my health is not guaranteed. I know that I could lose my job. You know, it doesn't make me less of a Christian or that I have less faith. But by doing that and us doing those kind of things for our families and our communities, you're ensuring a level of multi-generational impact. I educate my kid. You know, he's able to kind of move into maybe a whole range of things and fulfill his potential and have impact on the world by virtue of what I've set up for him. What you give to the community, what you give to CRT, what they're able to do to an individual, is able to affect a family, is able to affect a city, is able to affect a country, is there's all of these linkages, there's all of these things that can happen in response to you just being faithful with your hundred bucks. So, church in conclusion, I think I finished pretty early. 
I encourage you to engage with the Word of God. The Word of God is living and active. This, this book is not just like this thing, you know, like with principles or that maybe have some relevance. And there's some things that are clear, but there's some things that are gray. This book can make gray clear. It's living. The Word can speak to you. Engage with it. Engage with it in every area of your life. But you can also engage with it in finances. Give the Lord your heart. Know that He loves you. Know that He has your best interests at heart. Obey His word. Honor Him with your finances. If you're wealthy, you know what to do. Honor Him with your wealth. That He might honor you. Again, I want to just speak to those in this position where they just feel like they don't like they lack and it's tough and there's no work and it's hard and hearing all this thing is like but you don't have a clue what I've gone through you know and that's real is that the message is still the same draw near to God he'll draw near to you bring his situation before you hear what the word says apply it to your situation and just watch just watch and see what that unlocks and what he can provide, and what he can show, and what he can reveal to you about his nature, and his desire to prosper you. And that's it. That's it. Thank you very much. Sure. Uh, Holy Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that it's still relevant. All of these passages are so old, but the word is still, still so applicable to everything and every situation. And Father, I lift this all up to you, all in different positions. There's some in here where it's tough. It's really, really tough. And they just need kind of that breath of hope. Breathe into their hearts, Lord fill them with the power of your spirit and may this week be game changing may they be able to exercise their faith and see the Lord come through and provide and be true to his name and for all of us in various different positions Lord Holy Spirit take your word bring it to remembrance Holy Spirit may it convict may it guide made comfort and lead us into the fullness of what you want for us in our lives and how we manage our finances specifically. Lord, also bless this house, bless the ministries, provide. Father God, may we continue to see your good work that you're doing in the city and in our nation. We pray this all in the precious and holy name of Jesus Christ.